So Ghana is one of our tier one missions partners here at Christ Church, meaning they are one of the three that we're most connected to and invest most heavily in. And they're also the first of our global church plants to see a church launch and to get off the ground. And so it's exciting to see them leading the way uh, through what we want to do globally through REACH. Christ Church has been sending a team to Ghana regularly now since 2011. We are going there as part of a holistic community development project. I knew I was supposed to go again this spring when we were personally invited to go there for the REACH uh, project that we are doing for the Sogokope Church Plant Dedication. And also they asked me to do some inductive Bible study teaching for their pastors and church planters there. One of the things that's really impressed me about Ghana is the friendliness and almost joyfulness of the people there. The people were joyous. They were happy. Uh, It was not a sense of, I'm poor. Uh, It was just a sense of joyfulness. Uh, And that also saw a great sense of appreciation uh, of the things that we were doing, the schools, the water, the electricity, the various things. People were genuinely appreciative of what was being done. In addition to the church dedication at Sogokope that we will be privileged to not only attend, uh, but to participate in, we will also be visiting the village that we have put the most of our resources into, and that is the village of Kuve. In addition to that, we will also be doing some teaching with the about 23 local pastors and church planters. I think we should all be praying for boldness for this new church uh, and the witness that they're called to there. And I pray that God would soften hearts and minds of people that are in their community that might be open to receiving the gospel maybe for the first time. Well, good morning and happy Sunday. And you can be assured we will get a video of the celebration taking place earlier today as they open this, uh, this new church building. For 17 years, there have been people praying that it would get started. And, and we started building an actual building. We hired a church planter. Uh, started building a building, and so many people showed up that we had to stop our plans and expand them before we could go forward because we we're like, we're gonna, it's going to be full before it actually opens. So let's, uh, let's do this while we can. So that'll be exciting. Greetings to those joining us at the Crossroads Highland Park upstairs at the 01. Uh, and congratulations to those of you who still have a team in the NCAA bracket. I'm totally out. And I realize they should also... Offer some uh, congratulations to the Michigan fans who don't have Michigan State going forward. I know that that's a big deal for some of you. So, back when I was young, back when there were only three channels on the TV, and the TV would actually go away at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? The TVs would shut down, and you would get a, a test pattern. Some of you have never seen a TV test pattern, but there was a time when there was actually nothing on the screen. No Hulu, no YouTube, no videos, DVDs. The TV was off and there was nothing to watch. That actually happened in my lifetime. Back then, Batman was not this multi-billion dollar movie enterprise with A-list actors and incredible special effects and complex villains like Heath Ledger's uh, Joker. 
Back then, Batman was a cheesy half-hour weekly program starring Adam West as Batman and Bruce Ward as Robin. And, uh, and the, the, the villains were very one-dimensional sort of plastic characters. And the special effects was somebody holding up a sign that said, Wham! and Kazow. Like, you didn't even see the fights. They just held up a little bubble that said something was happening, right? Well, um, they also had, a, had something that, that Steve Darby and I, who watched Batman every week, came to dread, and that was just at the, at the most critical moment when you could not understand what was going to happen next and how Batman and Robin were going to get out of their predicament the, the voice of the narrator would come on and say, is this the end for the dynamic duo, right? Are they going to be turned into tapioca pudding by, you know, the Penguin's uh, evil tapioca machine? Is this, you know, what, what will happen next? Come back next week, right? Same bat time, same bat channel. And last week, I sort of went, Batman on you. Um, so the topic was how do we change? How do we grow? How do we get better? I said, better is better. Right? Nicer is nicer. So we want to, to be conformed to the image of God. We want to become like Christ. We want to yield ourselves to the, to the Holy Spirit so that his fruit ripens in our life. Because when we are characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, that's a win for everybody starting with us. So spiritual maturity is its own reward in one sense because when we become more like that, life is better. And so I said, look, better is better. We want to be better. Uh, better is what's supposed to happen. It is expected that we grow. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, some of what we read in the letters is, 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 is correction to people who are not growing. And Paul says, you're supposed to be growing. And so he said, better is better. We want to get better. Better is expected. Better is promised. But better isn't always happening. And so we talked, I talked briefly about some of the theories about getting better and said some people say change can't happen, but the Bible says that it can. And some people argue that all we need in order to get better is more education. And I said, it hasn't really worked in the 20th century, right? More education, the, the Nazis had a lot of education. And, and we see lots of people with lots of education who just can build bigger bombs or, or be, be evil in different ways. And so... It's not just education. Some people say, well, we need more education of the Bible. But in fact, the Pharisees had a lot of education of the Bible. And some people say, well, we just need, we need to try harder. We need more religious zeal for, for God's law. I said, the Apostle Paul sounds like, you know, Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris when it comes to speaking against religion. He hates religion. Religion doesn't work. And so I said, okay, so we, we, we've got to understand that it's something else. And so we turned to Colossians chapter 3, and we looked at this idea that, that we need to set our hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And I spent the rest of the time talking about our heart, 
noting that it's a big part of Scripture. There's some very key passages that, that suggest that the heart is the key of what's going on. So Jesus is going to quote out of Deuteronomy uh, that we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul. And Proverbs gets, there's a little summary statement in Proverbs. He said, whatever else you do, right, guard your heart for out of it flows everything. And I, I said, biblically speaking, the heart is, is not a muscle. Biblically speaking, the heart is sort of the, is, it's command central. It's the, it is the epicenter of our life. It's the hub of our personality. It is, a, it is, a, it is an amalgamation of our, of our mind, of our, of our feelings, our emotions, our hopes, our dreams. It, all that stuff gets wrapped up in what the Bible refers to as heart. And then I said, the challenge we're up against here is, uh, you know, strike one, our heart is damaged. It's corrupted. It, it is, it is, it's not totally evil, but it has evil coursing through it. Uh, so if I had a bottle of water here, and I put a couple drops of poison in it and shook it up, the, it's not 100% poison, but there's poison in there. And our heart has been affected by sin. And this is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 15, right? It's not the food we take into our body that corrupts us. It's the things that come out of our heart. Our heart is damaged. Our heart is broken. Point number two is that our heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 5. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? And I said, this is not saying that sin is deceitful. It is. This is saying... We don't understand our own heart. We can't see who we really are. And I noted that as a person, I have become increasingly aware of, of the fact that it's hard for me to understand who I am in the eyes of everybody else. But also, uh, as a pastor, I see that there's just a lot of people who don't really understand who they are. And that everybody else has a different view of them than they do. And they don't get it at all. And so the heart is deceitful, which means we, we, we got command central is broken, and the readings that we're getting on it, trying to help it, are not accurate. And then strike three was that unless we're really significantly playing offense spiritually, our heart actually gets harder. Disappointment, uh, life, Sin, all of these things can lead us to a situation in which it's, we're, we're actually, our heart is growing callous. And the Bible talks about a hard heart or a seared conscience. And so these are the challenges that we're up against. And I said, okay, so Command Central is broken, Command Central is deceiving us, and Command Central is getting worse. So uh, what do we do? And I said, well, um, Got to come back, right? That's when I went Batman. So next week, same time, same channel. We'll continue in Colossians chapter 3. So that's where we're at today. Colossians chapter 3. And, um, and I, I want to I read this for you again. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died and your heart and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So this is sort of what we looked at last week. And, 
And I, I, I noted, among other things, just to pull back out again, that this idea that our life is hidden with Christ in God is, is in one sense, the message of the gospel. We get, we get so identified with Christ, we're hiding in Christ, hiding behind Christ. So then he goes on, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then we get a list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, uh, which is idolatry. Now, I, I don't love this translation, although it's better than a lot of other translations. And in particular, I think we get misled by this, this, these two words, earthly nature. Some translations say evil desires or sinful desires. And it's one word in Greek, epithumia, and it means, uh, epi means more. It's, it's desire. It's, it's too much desire. It's over-desire. So what we think is being said here is that it's desire for evil things, right? When you hear sinful desires, you think desire for something sinful. No, that's not actually it. It's, it's a desire that is too much, and so it can be for a good thing, but the good thing actually gets out of place, which is where we end up with idols. For the most part, idols are not bad things. They're not carvings in the corner of your living room that you're offering blood sacrifices to, right? Idols are good things that we try to make ultimate things. So it could be job, it could be uh, a reputation, it could be kids, it could be lots of things that are good, good things that we can love, that, that are important, that are gifts from God, but we are, we are putting too much of our identity in them. We're looking to them to be more than God intended for them to be. And so we, we need to understand that, um, that we have got to be, be thoughtful and diligent about what we allow our heart to go after. So um, this is key because uh, if, we, if we mess up here, it's virtually impossible for us to ever see ourselves accurately. If, if we're going to see our heart changed, we have to understand what we've given our heart to. And we have to understand what it is that we are loving more than we should. So, so um, there's a, there's a um, line that I particularly appreciate out of David Foster Wallace, who understands along with the Apostle Paul that there is something in first place in our life. David Foster Wallace was a writer Tragically, about uh, seven or eight years ago, ended his life. He was a, he was a young man. He was a celebrated uh, novelist. He'd won a MacArthur Genius uh, Award. He was, uh, he was this insightful, interesting guy. And in a, in a commencement speech at Kenyon College, uh, I've, most commencement speeches are pretty bad. I've, I've given some myself, so I, I, I can say that. There's a few commencement speeches that, that everybody goes back and rereads. And this is one of the ones that I've gone back and reread. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. So he's not a, not a Christ follower, wasn't a Christ follower, but he said this. 
In day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing, JC or Allah, Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. So both, both Paul and David Foster Wallace are pointing out, we don't have a choice about having something being first place in our life. It's just, it, it will happen. We are wired to look for meaning. We are wired to worship. We are wired to, to, to love something. We don't have a choice. What we are being told here is that we have to proactively make sure that that is God. Now, Foster Wallace also makes the point, and as does the text, I think, that uh, we may not know what it is that we love the most. Or we may say it's one thing, (laughs) And it's actually not. The religious person might say, oh, I worship God. Hmm? Maybe. The irreligious person says, I don't worship anything. No, wrong. Right? We have something that is the most important thing to us, and that is actually changing us. I, I, I talked initially, and I realized early this week that I, I shouldn't have talked this way. Talked about how to change. The fact of the matter is, you're changing. I mean, we're all changing. We don't stay the same. You're changing. The question is, how do we change in the right direction? (laughs) We are becoming like that which we love. Whatever we love most is shaping us. And so the question is, how do we see what it is that we love the most? Now, I'll say, um, it could be that your friends could tell you. Like, what do you think? I actually am motivated by the most. What do you think is really driving me? What do you think actually gets me out of bed in the morning? The other thing that we can try and ponder is what can we not live without? And there's a lot of things that it would be a really, really bad day if we lost them. Like, I'm, you know, it would be, it would be, it would be crushing. But there are some things where we go, yeah, no, I, I don't think I could go on. If I lost that... I'm not certain. I would, I, would be com- I would be completely done. So we need to understand that, that it, is, it is an over-desire for good things that will often get us in trouble. Reading on. Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He gives this list, dropping down to verse 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have been taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. Dropping down to verse 12. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with, and we get another list, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, forgive one another. So uh, I, I want to I suggest that, that this passage, Colossians 3, uh, chapter, or Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 1 and going through most of the chapter, it, it really, if we step back from it, it is suggesting that we change in, in the right direction for three reasons. Number one, we set our heart on God. Our affections, our mind needs to be directed towards God who is our first love. Now, let me just point something out to you. <laughs> if you are thinking like a modern person, what I have just said is nonsense. Because you say, well, I can't control what I feel. I feel what I feel. Um, I was at the grocery store a while back and a little girl throwing a tantrum. And the mom is behaving in a very appropriate way. And I'm very sympathetic to parents who are behaving in appropriate ways when a child is throwing a tantrum because we had a tantrum thrower. And, and uh, he threw tantrums every day uh, and, and seemed, even at a young age, to have some sense of what would be the most embarrassing moments to completely melt down. And we just, you know, right from, right from the first tantrum, we were in lockstep saying, okay, look, if you, 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 okay, now you're not going to get what you're asking for. There's no chance we can give you what you're asking for because we're not going to reinforce this behavior. And, uh, and, and that is supposed to extinguish that behavior, right? Yeah, it went on for years. And, 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 and I can remember times, you know, you're standing there and your kid is screaming and shrieking and rolling around on the floor and you're standing there going, okay, I can wait. Um, uh, and somebody comes up and says, you know, if you don't give in to them, then they won't do this again. Tell him that. But don't get too close because he's actually a monster or demon-possessed. And we may kill him or he may kill us. We're not sure. But we have never given that child what he asked for. But it's not working. So if a parent is not throwing a tantrum back, not yelling and screaming, I am, my heart goes out to them because I'm like, okay, we, we, we logged years with this. And eventually, no tantrums recently. He's 30 at the point and now. But... Um, so this child is throwing this tantrum, and his mother says, okay, you need to, you need to behave, you need to, you need to get up, you need to stop crying, and you need to follow me. And the, the little girl screams, you can't tell me what to feel. And the mom says, I'm not telling you what to feel, I'm telling you how to act. So let me just say, that sounds reasonable today, that is not what Paul is telling us. Paul is saying, oh, I most definitely can tell you what to feel. I am telling you to change your feelings. Now, we just, no, no, I have to be true to myself. Whatever I feel is, is right. I, I, I need to lean into my feelings. And, and that's not the way we used to think. <laughs> so uh, it's not what Scripture suggests. 
So Paul is saying, redirect your affections. Right? Set your heart on things above, on God. And in the Psalms, we will see repeatedly where the Psalms will have counsel where you're reading a psalm and you, and you think it's a prayer and you realize, no, this is not a prayer. This person is talking to themselves. And they're saying, be still my heart. Right? I'm, I'm talking to my heart. I am telling my heart, go in a different direction. T.S. Eliot, the uh, great poet, uh, celebrated uh, writer who came to faith in Christ um, a little bit later in life. T.S. Eliot is famous for saying in one of his poems that April is the cruelest month. And I think in Chicago, April is the cruelest month. But anyway, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to tease us with uh, 62 and, and sun, and it's going it's, it's to snow next week, right? So I mean, that April is the cruelest month. T.S. Eliot said, if you are a Christian, then there's two questions you should be asking yourself. Number one, what do I love? Number two, what should I love? Because I have to shape my love. <laughs> Again, this is crazy talk today. But, but this is, how do we get better? We're going to have to own our heart. We're going to have to seek to conform our heart to the things that are best. We need to learn to love God most. Number two, we need to rest in the gospel. So this is this line in verse three that we need to be hidden in Christ. And so last week I said, uh, I don't know about your plans, but when I stand before God, Right, my plan is to hide in Christ. I do not want justice from God. Right? I do not want to see whether my good outweighs my bad. I, I know, first of all, that's not the way it works. Right? It, it, God is perfectly holy. He's looking for perfect holiness. That's the standard. Uh, and none of us were, were voted into the Trinity, so we're not perfectly holy. So we are, we are looking for the righteousness of Christ to be credited to our account. There was two questions that used to be asked back in the 70s and 80s. Call them diagnostic questions to sort of assess people spiritually. And the first question is, if you were to die today, do you know that you would go to heaven? Like, do you know that you're good with God? And then the second question, which was really the question, was what would you say to God if he said, why should I let you in to heaven? Now, the religious answer is, well, I tried to obey. I tried to be good. I went to church. Right? I, I volunteered. I, did the, I, try, I was a good person. Okay, that's the religious answer. That answer fails. The answer, the gospel is, well, technically speaking, you probably shouldn't. But I'm with him. Right? I am, I am completely hidden in Christ. I have given him all the junk and muck and sin in my life, and I have his righteousness credited my account. That is where I'm at, so I am, I am with him. And that is, that is the gospel. And, and, and we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need, to, we need it's the, the good news about God's unconditional love for guilty, broken people 
is not just for non-Christians. And I said a few weeks ago that for the last year and a half, my goal in my morning devotional time is to not get up until I have persuaded my heart that I am loved by God. <laughs> because then there's nothing to prove. Right? There's nothing to earn. And it, it, to, to not be known and to be loved is shallow and, and it feels a little risky because you think, if they learn who I really am, they may not love me. To be known and not loved is our fear. Like if, if they knew everything, they wouldn't love me. To be fully known and fully loved is the gospel. And, and it's not, I'm trying hard, I'm, I'm trending well, I'm getting better. It's, no, I'm broken. <laughs> I'm, I've got pride issues, anger issues, whatever. I, I, got, I got issues. But God knows all about that. And God loves me because he's God. He's the hero and I can rest there. And, and in, order to, in order to have a changed heart, right, we have to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. And, and to just lower our need to be right, our need to excel, our need whatever. So, number one, we set our heart on God. Number two, we rest in the gospel. Number three, there, is, um, there are two lists in this. There's a list of things you, we should not do. And then there's a list of things we should do. And I, I basically just want to say, to me, the money, the money word in the, that whole passage is that we need to attend to our practices. Put off those practices and put on these practices. Because here's the deal. Right? We are expected to pursue the right things. And, and we have to understand, while we want to change and we sign up to change, actually changing... Is, is hard work that we only control part of. So the will, actually, you know, the disciplined muscle to go out and be better, yeah, that doesn't work for very long. Right? It gets tired really quickly, which is why, you know, after a few days, diets go away. And after a few days, health club memberships never get used again. It is because we can, we can force ourselves and will ourselves and discipline ourselves to do things for a while. But we can't keep it up because our will is broken. And furthermore, we can't change because all we can ultimately do is put ourselves in situations and, and try and act better, try to behave. But, but what we want is the desire to behave. We don't just want to act loving. We want to love. We don't just want to act like we're, we're, we've got no anxiety, that we're at peace. We want to be at peace. And we can't control that. But what we can do is build a life that has practices in it. And these practices or patterns, habits, right? If, 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 our, act, if our actions become habits then we can actually keep those things going. It takes me zero energy to brush my teeth, to remember to brush my teeth and to brush my teeth. It's a habit. I don't even think about it. I have to think, did I brush my teeth? I don't know. 
Takes the, things that become habits just become part of our life. We've got to give thought to the patterns and the habits that we have. There are habits and patterns that take us in the right direction. And guess what? <laughs> They're not a mystery. You know what they are. If you don't know what they are, you've not been paying any attention for a long time. There are things that, that, that position you to go forward with God. Prayer, Bible reading, community, baptism, right? I, I mean, the Lord's Supper, which we're about to take. These are things that begin to shape us and move us in the right direction. So, how do we change? We have to work on controlling our affections. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves. And we need to develop the habits and patterns that move us in the right direction. So, I want to share one thing as we prepare to go to communion. And communion is, taking the Lord's Supper is is one of the things that we do that is trying to shape who we are. There's all kinds of things going on in the, in the sacrament, this sacred activity of, of Holy Communion, and we're, we're, you know, we're literally sort of symbolic. i got to be very careful with my words here. I wouldn't say literally. I would say symbolically. We are feasting on Christ. We are, we are demonstrating our desperate need for Jesus so much that we are taking the body and, and the blood of Christ in. And so I just want to—I want to make one observation. This is a, uh, this is a, a a a priest's stick that I got in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, ten years ago. So I am not a priest; I am a pastor. There's a difference. So uh, as as Protestants, we would say that Jesus is our high priest, and we don't need a priest. So a prophet is somebody that represents God to the people. A priest is somebody that represents the people to God. You go through a priest. So, so I never stand when we're doing communion. We never actually stand in front of the elements. May not ever have been anything that you've noticed, but you have immediate access to Christ, the high priest. So I'm not a priest, but in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, they have priests. And, and one of the things about a priest that you know is that a priest cannot sit down until their work is done. Okay? And so they had these sticks in the service. And the services can be seven, eight hours long. You got it easy. <laughs> the services can be seven or eight hours long. And a lot of the priests were, were pretty old guys. And so they had these canes and they were just propping like ten around this guy. They were trying to hold him up through the service. And I looked at that and I said, oh, I got to get me one of those. So uh, what we read in this passage and in other places is that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Because his work is done. Right? Everything that needs to be done for you to be reconciled to God and to move forward has been done by Christ. So we come to the, to the communion table to celebrate the death of Christ which in, in which we find our deliverance. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your spirit. We confess that we have been uh, weak-willed 
that our hearts are broken and deceptive and that we often say and think one thing and, and, and follow another path, and it's not a path of righteousness. And so we confess that and thank you that, uh, that you sent your son to, to do everything that needs to be done for us to be reconciled to you and that you have promised that you began a good work in us and you will continue that and complete that. We long to be people who are, are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, more and more like Christ every day. Uh, guide and direct us to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.